You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy and grace in our lives. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, that you are a faithful God, that we can put our total trust and confidence in you. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. Lord, your word is true. Your word is alive, and it never changes. And so, Father, I thank you that your word produces faith in our hearts, that we can believe, we can stand on it, And Father, we can see your word come to pass. And Lord, I just believe in Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and insight tonight and cause your word to become alive on the inside of us. And Father, we'll be mindful to not be hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And Father, I thank you for it. We believe to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this is week number four in our series uh, about overcoming the storms of life. So let's look at our foundation scripture from Matthew chapter 7. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 24 through 27. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Jesus is teaching, and he says this, Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand." And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So as we've been looking, there are two uh, types or two people here that uh, the same storm came to both people. One of them heard the word of God and did the word of God, and Jesus likened that to building your house upon a rock. And when the storms come, he said, the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. And then he contrasts that with the person who hears the word and does not do it. And he called him a person that builds his house on the sand. And when the same rain descended, the same floods, the wind blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So what we've been looking at is Jesus gives us the plan, the overall plan on how to weather and overcome and come out on the other side victorious, the storms of life. Now, we've been saying all along in this series that the storms of life happen to everybody. They come to each and every one of us. They come to good people. They come to born-again people. They come to people that aren't born again. You know, and as long as we're living in this fallen world, uh, that we're susceptible to the storms of life, but we don't have to fall victim to them. We don't have to allow them to 
bring destruction into our lives, that we can build our lives on the Word of God, hearing the Word and doing it, and our lives will be able to weather the storm. So last week, we've been look, we began looking at what does the Word say about patience or consistency? That's what, what a definition of patience is, is being consistent. We looked at several scriptures where uh, the Bible teaches us that patience is uh, or works hand in hand with our faith to help us to overcome the storms. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11 in the Amplified Bible, don't turn to it, just listen. Paul said this, we pray that you may be invigorated and strengthened with all power according to the might of your glory to exercise every kind of endurance and patience. And then parenthetically, it says perseverance and forbearance with joy. Then Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, we looked at this last week in the New Living, uh, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance or patience. So what this tells us is that faith is great, faith is necessary, but there is something that has to work alongside with our faith, and that is called patience. And then James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we looked at this in the New King James. James said this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, what do you think gives us the ability to count, count it all joy when we fall into trials, when, when adversity shows up? What is the premise behind being able to count that joy? Anybody know? Being the end result. Yeah, but what what is what what is God's desire? The end result is you're healed or you're financially stable, whatever it is that you're praying for. Yeah, that we win or we overcome. Yeah. God is out uh, for us. He's pulling for us to win in these situations. Now I know because of shortcomings in our own selves, we don't always win, but it's not God's fault if we don't win. God has provided everything that we need in order to win, and then he's cheering us on. But the thing that I want you to see is, is that you can count it all joy because if you will do what God says, the outcome has already been determined, and that is that you can win. So let's go on. He said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces or works, the old King James says, patience or consistency, but let consistency or patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what James is telling us is, is that when adversity shows up, if we will use our faith and remain consistent and let that consistency work for us, then we'll come out on the other side of that adversity, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And that's good news because uh, that's what really will give you joy is to know, okay, that, you know, I may be going through a tough time right now, but, but number one, I win. Number two, if I'll do what God says, then I'll come out on the other side of that adversity, that temptation, that test or trial, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36, 
In the Amplified Bible, we read this last week, for you have need of steadfast patience and endurance so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God and thus receive and carry away and enjoy to the full what is promised. So again, Paul writing to the Hebrew Christians, he told them that if uh, you know, if you will employ steadfast patience and endurance along with your faith, um, then you will receive and carry away and be able to enjoy to the full what's been promised to us. And so then we began talking about four reasons that people are inconsistent. What, what is it that causes us to not be patient in the sense of being consistent to where you know, we're kind of up and down. Our lives are kind of like a roller coaster where we're we're going up one moment or one day or one week, and then the next week uh, we're kind of down. So what causes us to be susceptible to those types of things? Well, here's number one. We said this last week, that people get, are inconsistent because of discouragement. People get discouraged, and when people get discouraged, they have a tendency to become inconsistent. And so we looked at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, and I know I'm going fast through this, but if you miss any of these scriptures, they're all on the website, and then we we talked about them last week. But, but Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says this, and let us not grow weary, and we said the Greek word for that word weary is to be discouraged, so we could replace that and say, let us not get discouraged while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The Message Bible says this, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued or discouraged. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. And I think, you know, that's a huge, huge key uh, to our victory, to us being able to walk into victory. And I know this sounds simple, but it's true. And that is this, if we will just learn not to quit, not to give up. And listen, I know that's easier said than done. I've had hard times just like you all go through. And, you know, there are times when you feel like throwing in the towel. There are times when you feel like quitting and giving up. And, and you know, it, it, it as tempting as it is, you can't yield to that. You can't give up. You can't quit because here's the promise that if, if we don't quit, we will in due season reap the harvest, we'll win, our healing will come, whatever, you know, as Kathy said, uh, all of those things will take place if we just hang in there and remain consistent and don't quit and give up. So now we said also this, what is discouragement? Well, a discouragement is a result of your expectation not being fulfilled or your expectation being frustrated. In other words, you expected something to go a certain way and it didn't. And so because of that, you got discouraged. Okay. So discouragement is a product of disappointment or frustrated expectation. So here's what you have to do in order to overcome discouragement. And that is this let go of your past experience. You know, so if you if you prayed and something didn't happen uh, the way you thought it would based on the word of God, last time you prayed, listen, 
let go of that experience. Be willing to let that go. Today is a new day. And today, the Lord and I, we're going to start over. We're going to pray and we're, I'm going to believe God. And God is going to do what he says in his word. And, and you know, a part of that is this. And, you know, just a little side note. You know, when you're standing on the word of God, where albeit for healing or, or maybe financial provision, whatever the case might be, whatever God's word has promised to you, when you're standing in faith on that, don't try and do your job and God's job too. In other words, what I'm saying to you is let God do his part the way he wants to do it and through whomever he wants to do it. And don't you try and figure out what his part is. Let your full-time occupation be just standing in faith, staying on the word of God, keeping your mind from wandering and and uh, getting off course and let God bring it to pass the way that he desires to bring it to pass. You know, a lot of us, uh, you know, I'm speaking from my own experience. A lot of times we want to help God out. We want to help God figure out how he needs to work in our lives, how he needs to bring his word to pass. No, just let go of all of that. Let God do his part. And what that will do is that'll help keep you from getting disappointed and discouraged because, you know, however God chooses to do it, let him do it and let go of the expectation of how you thought he was going to do it. And then that'll keep you from getting frustrated. And so Philippians chapter three, verses 13 and 14, we read this last week. Paul said this, and I'm reading from the Passion Bible. He said, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. He says, I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. See, what happens a lot of times, the reason we get disappointed with people is because of their past performance. And, uh, you know, part of forgiveness is being willing to let go of the past for someone who's repented and they've acknowledged they're wrong and so forth and so on. But you have to be willing to let go of the past and, and like the King James says, press forward, press towards and reach towards the mark for the prize of the high calling. You know, if you, if you're, if you ever get disappointed in yourself and uh, you know, at your own shortcomings and failures and so forth, then you're going to have to learn to let go of those things as well. But my point is this, you never get discouraged about something that has not happened yet. You get discouraged because of past experience. And so what, what causes people to get inconsistent is discouragement. So the answer to that is let go of your past experience. Okay. Here's number two. We said people are inconsistent and, you know, and I'm including myself with all of this. People are inconsistent because we get lazy. I think laziness robs us more often than we we care to admit it. But the fact of the matter is that if we let our flesh dictate to us, uh, you know, degree of laziness or or what our our mind wants to do and so forth and so on, then we have a tendency to lean towards being on the lazy side. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, we read this last week. 
And the NIV Bible says this, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. And what he means by the very end is the end of your faith, the, the, the manifestation of what you're believing God for, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And so, you know, nowhere in the Bible, and particularly in these two verses right here, does it say that God's going to do anything about your laziness. That's something that we have to do. And I like what this translation says. It says that we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end or the end of your faith. In other words, when the manifestation shows up. So the answer to the temptation to be lazy is for us to make the decision to be diligent. Be diligent. And to be diligent means that we expend a consistent effort in, uh, you know, using our faith, standing on the Word of God, speaking and declaring the Word of God. Um, you know, I'll just share this little testimony with you. You know, um, and I'm trying to remember exactly when this happened. It was sometime towards the end of last year, 2022. And, uh, you know, I had gotten a little lazy and I have, uh, you know, some things in, in my prayer book that I go over every day and make confessions over my life. I, I confess the healing scriptures that are on our website, uh, you know, and several other things. And I make those confessions on a daily basis. And I had kind of strayed away from being as faithful as I should have been in those things. And I remember, uh, again, I didn't make a note of exactly when this happened, but there was um, at night, I was sound asleep. And all of a sudden, I woke up. And, uh, you know, I have to believe and, uh, you know, I didn't see anything or whatever. But I have to believe that that maybe it was an angel that woke me up or, or something. But anyway, the, the moment I woke up, the voice of the Lord spoke to me in my spirit, not audibly, but in my spirit. And he said, you must not really believe that what your words are, that your words are really working and speaking my word produces. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I had to repent from that. And I, so I had to make an adjustment. And so because of that um, rebuke by the Lord, then uh, I have once again become diligent in those things. And, uh, you know, I'm not in bondage to that, but I do it because I know what speaking the word of God accomplishes. I know what my mouth declaring what the Bible says over my life and over our church, I know what that accomplishes. And so therefore, I, I practice it. I'm diligent with it on a daily basis. And uh, I believe that, you know, I'm seeing results of that happening. And I encourage you to do the same thing. God's not a respecter of persons. The speaking the word of God is very important for our lives. Um, you know, matter of fact, the, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, that death and life are in the power of the tongue and that we need to be diligent in speaking life over our own lives, over our physical bodies and so forth. And we have to be diligent in those things. The temptation and the tendency is going to be to lean on the lazy side. Well, I'll do that tomorrow 
Or, you know, and then tomorrow rolls around and we say, well, no, I'll do it tomorrow. And, you know, before you know it, we put it off and a week has gone by. And so you just have to learn to practice, to be diligent. And it starts with a simple decision. I am going to do this on a daily basis. And so, you know, that's what the decision that I had to make. I, uh, you know, got my notes out, began to declare those things, and I made a decision that I was going to be diligent. And that's as simple as you have to start with that decision to overcome the temptation to be lazy. Now, here's number three, and this is where we ended uh, last week, or we ended at number two. And and, uh, so number three is this, people are inconsistent because they are weighed down, W-E-I-G-H-E-D, because they are weighed down. People get inconsistent because they're weighed down. Now, I'm going to read a scripture to you from uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. I'll tell you what, if you want to, turn over there with me. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And uh, very familiar scripture. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul writing, he said this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, let me clarify something in here. Notice what Paul said. He said, uh, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And what that tells me is this, that weights aren't necessarily sin. They can be, but they they aren't necessarily sin. They're just things that slow us down and hinder us in our walk with God. Um, you know, they might even seem like they're good things, but you know, everything that's good isn't always of God, okay? There there are things that might seem good uh, to us that can burden us, that can become overbearing to us. And, uh, you know, the picture that this paints is, let me skip the sin part for a moment and read it to you. Let us lay aside every weight and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, a, a uh, you know, I personally, uh, you know, other than being in PE class and, and school, did not actually run track or anything like that. But I know athletes that are training to run track will um, run with weights on their body. Matter of fact, it's a big thing now that if you're, you know, really into physical fitness and you're a runner, that there are actually vests that you can go and buy and wear that are weighted and you can adjust the weight in them, how much it is or how little it is. And you can proceed to go run with that vest of weight on you. And the purpose for this is that you do this in training and preparation for running a race so that when you get to the day that you're running the race or the actual race is ready to start, you take those weights off 
and you are able to run that race unencumbered by the weights that you were trying to carry, and it will cause you to be able to run faster and more efficiently. And so what Paul is telling us is, is that throughout life, we pick up weights. We pick up things in our lives, may not necessarily be bad, may not necessarily be sinful or evil, but they're things that slow us down. You know, it could be uh, a relationship where, you know, and I hate to say this because, you know, I, I know none of us are, um, we like people, okay? But how many of you know there are some people that just suck the life out of you, okay? And, yeah. you know, you have to guard that relationship and protect yourself in that relationship because that relationship can become a burden to you. And it can, because of, uh, you know, people that they don't mean any harm, but they just suck the life out of you. And therefore it can become a weight to you and keep you from being able to run your race the way that God wants you to run your race. So we have to take those weights off. I'm not saying we're ugly and we're mean to people, but sometimes you have to love people from afar. And so what you have to do is you have to lay that weight aside so that you can run the race that God has called you to run and uh, be consistent in that. And so ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, do I have weights in my life? Do I have, am I trying to run this race, God, that you have called me to run, but I'm trying to run it with weights around my ankles and around my body's, uh, you know, uh, figuratively speaking, and uh, show me what they are so that I can strip myself of those weights and I can be able to run the race that you've called me to run. Now, I want to say this, the phrase there that he says, let us lay aside every weight, uh, you know, that picture, that translation almost uh, gives us a picture that's not accurate to what the actual language says. The Greek picture uh, paints this picture. Someone sets something down and then pushes it far from them. In other words, uh, you know, that it's beyond your easy reach. So you're not as tempted to pick it back up. It implies a deliberate decision to make some changes and change your behavior in your life. So what we have to do is we have to make some decisions, lay those things down, push them away from us, figuratively speaking, so that we're not easily tempted to reach over and pick those things back up. Because, you know, if I just take this pen and I set it right down here in front of me, then, you know, I'm very tempted to reach back down and, and pick it up. But if I get up and I take this pen and I put it in the next room, then I am less likely to venture out and pick that pen up because it's going to be an inconvenience and it, it's going to be out of my way. So you have to make some decisions to lay those things down and push them away from you. So uh, people that are inconsistent because they're weighed down, the answer to that is lay those weights down and push them away far out of reach. Now, here's number four. People can be inconsistent because they lack joy. Number four is people are inconsistent because they lack joy. Now, I want to say this to you. Joy is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. 
Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is a feeling. Joy is something that comes up out of your spirit. It is a spiritual thing. Okay. And so what happens a lot of times is, you know, we, we trudge along in our Christian lives and we forget to allow this joy, this spiritual force, if you will, that's on the inside of us by the Holy Ghost to come up out of us and let it work for us. You remember, uh, you know, one of the get our fruit of the spirit rather is, is joy. And if we will let the Holy Ghost work in us, he will help produce this spiritual thing called joy on the inside of us. Now, we read this, and you're there almost in, in uh, James, but go over to James chapter 1. We read this earlier, James chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to read it out of, and we're going to read verses 2 through 4. Again, I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'm going to read it from the Good News Bible. The New King James says this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And this, I think I said this to you last week. James is not telling you get happy when adversity shows up. Because again, happiness is determined by your circumstances. Okay. But he said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces or works patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let me read it to you out of the Good News Bible. My friends, consider yourselves fortunate when all kinds of trials come your way. For you know that when your faith succeeds in facing such trials, the result is the ability to endure. Make sure that your endurance carries you all the way without failing, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay? So the New King James and the, the Good News Bible imply that there is something that can come up out of our spirit when adversity shows up that will help us produce endurance and enable us to be able to win in that trial, and that thing is the spiritual force or the spiritual fruit of joy. Okay. Now, what is the promise? I'm going back to the, the New King James. What is the promise in verse four that God tells us if we will remain consistent will happen in, in that trial? What will happen? You lack nothing. Okay. You come out perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, that's the promise, all right? So what the, the promise is, my part is, to remain consistent and endure. God's promise is, if I will do that, then I'll come out perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So here's, here's what this is telling us, that if we will focus on the promise, the promise will produce this thing called, or release rather, this thing on the inside of us called joy. And when that joy is allowed to work, in other words, like we were saying earlier, I know that as I face this adversity, if I'll stay in faith, I'll trust God, and I will be consistent that I win. 
that I come out on top. And matter of fact, the promise is that I'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if I will keep myself focused on that promise, that promise, the word of God will release in me the power of joy, which will give me the ability to endure the trial. Okay. So joy, and, and, and we'll talk about, you, you're going to remember a scripture when I say this, joy is designed to be the strength of your life. Do you good to write that down. Joy is designed to be the strength of your life, and it will motivate you to become or remain consistent. Joy is designed to be the strength of your life, and it will motivate you to remain consistent. Okay. So, you know, let's use an example. Let's use an extreme example. Think about, um, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 in the great hall of fame of faith, that there are people who did not receive or, or stand or believe for deliverance, choosing rather to go home and be with the Lord. Okay. In, in persecution and so forth. So, they were able to endure the persecution even to the point of death because of joy that was in them because they knew what the promise was. And the promise ultimately is that when we, our life on this earth ends, you and I step over into an eternity with the Lord. In other words, we go to heaven to spend an eternity with the Lord. That is God's promise to us. And what that promise will do is cause joy to be released in you and enable you to overcome and endure every um, trial that is brought against you. Okay. Now that's an extreme case, but let's bring it back a notch or two. Let's walk it back a little bit and let's say this. The word of God declares that by his stripes, I am healed. I am the healed of the Lord. Jesus took my infirmities, bore my sicknesses, carried my diseases, and with his stripes, I am healed. That's what Isaiah 53 says. So that is what already belongs to me in the plan of redemption. And so because Jesus bought and paid for that, that belongs to me. It is already mine. So when sickness and disease shows up and tries to attach itself to my life and my physical body, then I can endure that, ad, that, that adversity because I have joy on the inside of me that says, if I will stand in faith on what God's word has already declared, then I win and I walk in and receive my healing. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Okay. All right. So let me show you a, a great, great example of this. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. We looked at Hebrews 12, 1 just a few minutes ago. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Um, and I'm going to read it to you from the Message Bible. Well, I'll read it to you from the, the New King James first. You know, we could run the race, talking about verse 1. 
And so verse two says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we're talking about Jesus here, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's what this verse tells me is that this spiritual power, this spiritual force of joy, if it is used and released properly in our lives, then just like as it was Jesus, this is what gave Jesus the ability to endure the horrible things that he experienced on the cross and even the death that came about because of the cross. All right. Now, what was the promise? Now, think with me here. What was the promise that Jesus had and Jesus stood on that released this joy on the inside of him and gave him the ability to endure the cross? That he was going to be with his father. Well, even before that, he -hmm. told his disciples five or six times, hey, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to slap me. They're going to persecute me or prosecute me and mock me. And then I'm going to be crucified. But, but remember, that was always followed by the word but. And then what's the rest of that? He's going to be raised in three days. That's right. On the third day, I will rise again. Okay. Jesus already knew that in his spirit because the Holy Spirit had revealed that to him. That was the promise that he had. Plus the scriptures tell and prophesy this. Okay. So here's what happened. Jesus, now again, he wasn't looking forward to it. Don't misunderstand me. But he was able to endure the horrible death of the cross and everything that he suffered in that, knowing the promise which produced joy. And there was also a bigger joy, too. I'll I'll tell you that in a second. But he knew the promise was this was not permanent. This wasn't going to last forever. Thank you, Jesus. And so because of that, he knew. I depend on the Father, and the Father is going to raise me up on the third day. And so this is a temporary situation that I'm facing, and I, with joy, knowing the end result, can endure everything that I'm getting ready to endure. But there was even more to that promise. What do you think was waiting on the other side of him fulfilling that? Our redemption. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the the, the Bible uses this analogy, and I, I believe Jesus actually said this himself, that he had to be planted like a seed so that a harvest could come forth. The mm-hmm. thing that he knew in his spirit was, yes, I am going to be resurrected on the third day, but the huge upside to that and the win in all of that is redemption 
for mankind, salvation for mankind will be bought and paid for. And because of me sowing my life, Jesus sowing his life, you and I could be born again and become children of the living God. And so that mm -hmm. was the ultimate promise that produced joy on the inside of him and gave him the power to be able to endure the worst thing that a human being could ever endure. So that, all right, and let me say this to you. If that is our model, and Jesus made that example for us, then listen, you and I can endure, and I'm not saying tolerate or put up with, but I'm saying go through some adversity, some trials, some pressure, and that type of thing, knowing that we have a promise that is every bit as valid as what Jesus held on to, and you and I can have joy knowing that the, the, the victory has already been determined, and you and I can rest in that. You and I can walk in that, and we can hang on to that, and that joy will produce uh, the, the patience and the ability for us to remain consistent throughout that trial. In other words, here's, here's kind of a way to look at it. All right. If I will stick with this and, and stay consistent and stay in faith on the promise of God, listen, it's like Galatians chapter six said, if you won't quit, you will win. I'm going to say that again. If you don't quit and you stay in faith, you will win. That's right. Okay? And that's the promise. And so if we hold on to that, that's what will enable us to remain consistent. Now, you know, I mentioned to you that strength or joy is the strength of our life. Well, the Bible actually says that in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. Nehemiah, by the Spirit of God, he said this, uh, talking to the Hebrew people that were rebuilding Jerusalem at the time, he said, this is a sacred day before our Lord, and I'm reading from the New Living, don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, see, here's the way we've interpreted that. If I'll fake being happy while I'm going through a hard time, then somehow God will get me through it. Nope. Nope. He's not saying anything about faking happy. All right. What he's saying is know deep down on the inside of you that if I stay in faith on God's word, God will not fail. His word will not fail. And I will come out victorious on the other side. And so you don't have to be fake about anything with that. You just be real, knowing that you're standing on the word of God and God's joy. That's his joy on the inside of you will be your strength. All right. Now. All right, let's let's press on. Let's keep, let's move on a little bit. Uh, go back with me to the book of Psalms, please. So we're still talking about overcoming the storms of life. So Psalms 45, or 46, rather, excuse me, the 46th Psalm, and I want to read verses 1 through 3, 
you you're probably familiar with this psalm. You probably heard it. You might even be able to quote it yourself. Okay. So remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7 about the storm. The winds blew, the, the floods came, so forth and so on. All right. So uh, Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Can we say it this way? He's your very present help in a storm. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. And then, of course, the reply is, I don't have to be afraid. God is my help. All right. So God is our refuge and our strength. He is our very present help in the storm. Now, it's very important that you and I understand that a key to overcoming the storms of life is to understand you do not go through the storm alone. You do not go through the storm by yourself. God is your very present help in the storm. All right? So you well, let's establish that right up front. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, just for the sake of time, just make a rep note of that reference. Hebrews 13, 5, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree, and it literally says it three times in the Greek language, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you, absolutely not. Amen. Now, I think that's pretty definitive to me. I think that's pretty, pretty much sums it up, you know, that when I'm going through a hard time, God has promised that First of all, I'm not alone. I'm not without his help. I'm not without his support. And even though it might feel like it, even though every circumstance might look like it, I have not been left alone. He will not leave me helpless nor forsake me. All right? And that's the promise that we can hold on to. Now, in the New Testament, how does he do this? How is God our ever-present help in a time of trouble, like it says in the Old Testament, in the 46th Psalm, how does he do that in the New Testament? Well, turn over to John's gospel, please, the 14th chapter. John 14 and verse 16. John 14 and verse 16. And Jesus says this. How do we know it's Jesus talking? It's in red. Yeah, it's in red. That's right. I just want to make sure y'all were paying attention. Okay. Hebrew, or excuse me, John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. So what Jesus is saying is, guys, he's talking to his disciples. I've been your helper for the last three and a half years. I've provided for you, I've protected you, I've kept you safe, 
and done everything for you, but I'm getting ready to leave. But I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, here's the difference between Jesus in the flesh and this other helper. Notice what he said, that he may abide with you. How long? Forever. Forever. Okay. Mm -hmm. Jesus in the flesh was getting ready to leave them. But the Holy Spirit, he said, would come and he will never leave you forever. The spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, talking about himself, Jesus, and will be in you. So here's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is not only with you, he is in you. He is not only your ever-present help in a time of trouble with you, he is your ever-present help in a time of trouble in you. And there's a difference, okay? There's a difference between somebody being with you and somebody being able to live in you. So Jesus went on to say, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of us and be everything to us that Jesus was to those disciples. So Jesus made a point to stress to these disciples the word forever. He made it a point that the Holy Spirit is coming to be your helper and to be in you forever. And he said, then he said that he would personally be present when he said, I will come to you. So how is Jesus present with us? He is present with us and in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've ever thought to yourself and said, man, if only Jesus was here to help me in this situation like he did those people in the Bible, don't ever let those words come out of your mouth. As a born-again believer, he is not only with you in that situation, he is in you in that situation, okay? The awesome truth is that the Holy Spirit says exactly what Jesus would say if he was bodily present with you. I mean, there's no difference. If Jesus needed to say something to you while you're in the middle of, of a time of trouble, the Holy Spirit will say it to you, just like Jesus would if he was there with you physically. Okay? Now, I want to show you, and I, and I hope I can get through with this. I'm going to try and hurry. But you're there in, in John 14. Go over to verses 25 okay, and 26. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper. Here he is talking about that helper again. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things 
that I said to you. Okay. Now, there are three things that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would do for us. Okay. Here's number one. Jesus promised us that he will teach us all things, that the Holy Spirit is the one that brings revelation to us. Now, he uses people, you know, as ministers and teachers and preachers of the gospel, but it's the Holy Spirit that enlightens you and brings the revelation, okay? Write this scripture down. Ephesians 1.17 says that Paul prayed, and he said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings revelation. So when you're studying the word or listening to a message and you have one of those light bulb moments, you know, the aha moment, uh, you know, where the, the, the revelation shows up, that's the Holy Spirit that has brought that to you. He is teaching you all things, okay? So that's the first thing that Jesus promised that he would do in verse 26. The second thing that he prompt, that Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do is he would remind us of what Jesus has said to us. He would remind us of what Jesus has said to us. Now, the greatest impact of his ministry to us is when he reminds us of the word of God when we are in the midst of the storm. Now, and, and I'm so grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what he does for us when he does this in a time of trouble, in the storm. He'll remind you, he'll cause God's word to come up out of your spirit and to remind you of what God's word has said in order to help you in that storm. Okay. Now I'm going to, um, let me just mention a couple things and then I'll give you some, some references. All right. Cause I, I want to get to number three. Um, the Holy spirit is not going to speak to you in a loud booming voice. You got to understand that he's in here. He's going to speak to you. The scripture says that he speaks to us in a still, small voice. First Kings chapter 19 and verse 12 says that, you know, this is where God is talking to Elijah. And, you know, it's, it, he brings the fire and the earthquake and all of that, but God didn't speak to him through any of that. It was after all that was over, and it was the still, small voice of the Lord that spoke to him. Here's my point. The Lord is not going to yell above the noise in your life. If you're wanting to hear from the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to quiet yourself down. So, And I'm not talking about physically, so to speak. I'm talking about up here and just agitation and worry and anxiety and all of those things. You're going to have to deal with that because the Holy Spirit will not yell at you above all of those things. And here's the thing that, you know, I know we forget this sometimes, but God is talking to us all the time. It's just we're not always tuned in to receive him and to hear what he has to say, okay? Now, um, that being said, 
Here's the third thing Jesus promised us. Go over to chapter 16, John chapter 16 and verse 13. John 16 and verse 13, and I'm going to make this point and then we'll quit. All right, here's the third thing that the Holy Ghost will do for you. John 16 and verse 13, Jesus again in his same discussion, this is two chapters later, still talking to his disciples, and he says this, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Now, I don't know how you interpret that, but I don't think there's any other way you can interpret that other than this. If we will posture ourselves to hear from the Holy Spirit, he will warn us of things that are coming. And I'm talking about in our own lives. Okay. So, you know, there are, there's a couple of guys on YouTube that I follow their channel and they are weather guys. They're younger guys and they have all this equipment and radar and all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, so they, they are well attuned to what's going on with weather in our country. And, and, uh, so, uh, what he'll do is he'll, uh, you know, put basically almost every day he puts out a video and he'll say, okay, this is what's happening. So like, for instance, the winter storm that's affecting the northern part of the country right now, you know, he talked about it. He said, listen, guys, this is coming. He said, you need to prepare because this could potentially be an ice storm that could knock out power. It could cause, you know, great problems with traffic and driving and, uh, you know, could cause you to be without power for an extended period of time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he, he is endeavoring to give people that are going to be affected by a storm advance warning so that they can prepare. Okay. And if you think about it, that's what all weather men are, are and women are trying to do. Weather forecasters is they're trying to warn people of weather that is coming. Well, what if we had somebody available to us that knows everything, that knows the past and the future, knows eternity from the beginning, and is able to tell us, hey, there is this adversity that's coming in your life. You need to be ready for it. Okay, well, guess what? We do have that. His name is Holy Spirit, and Jesus promised us that if we will make ourselves available to him, he will show us things to come. Now, let me ask you a question. Is a storm a thing? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, okay. So can I say it to you this way? If we will posture ourselves to hear from the Holy Spirit, he will show you and tell you when storms are coming. So guess what you can do? Now, Jesus gave us an overall view and said, hey, guys, listen, storms of life happen to everybody. Storms of life are going to happen. So we have that overarching warning. But what if we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us that can warn us of some more specific information 
and tell us that a storm is coming and we can prepare and be ready for it. Well, that's the way I read the Bible. That's the way the Bible, and the, you know, and again, that's written in red. So Jesus is telling us that if we will pay attention, the Holy Spirit will tell you that there is a storm coming and then he will lead and guide you on what you need to do to prepare for that storm. Why? Why does he do that? Because he wants you to win in that storm. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to make it through that storm victorious. So he provides every resource possible for us to, to be able to prepare and to know that the storm is coming. Okay? So Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will bring revelation to us. He'll remind us of what Jesus has told us. He will teach us all things. And then lastly, he will show us things to come, but we've got to be sensitive to him. And if we will do that, he'll reveal those things to us and we can be ready. You know, Jesus in the things he encountered in his ministry, it never caught him off guard. You ever thought about that? You know, when Jesus was with the disciples and they were going across the lake and they ran into that storm, Jesus wasn't pacing the floor in the bottom of that boat going, boy, I sure never saw this coming. I never, ooh, man, ooh, y'all, let's pray. The devil's been busy. No, you never heard anything like that out of Jesus' mouth. Matter of fact, the Bible says he was asleep in the back of the boat. Why? Because he had already prepared for the storm. He had given the word, we are going to the other side. He prepared for the storm. And so it didn't matter what storm came. We're going to the other side. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we can do when, when the Holy Spirit warns us and he will, I promise you, he will. He may not give you all the details, but he'll tell you, okay, prepare your heart. This situation's coming up. Okay. I've had him do it for me in the church. You know, there's certain situation, this certain person you know, you need to be prepared because they're, he's even told me when people were going to come and give me bad news. Now, I didn't always want to hear it. I'm talking about from the Holy Spirit because I didn't want to go through that experience, but the Holy Spirit would tell me that so I could be prepared for it. And, and it would not throw me for a loop. Okay. And so that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in each and every one of our lives as believers so that we can be prepared for the storm and we can weather the storm and we can come out victorious. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.